Just glad, glad to know that Santa Claus has an off-season gig. That, he, <laughs> that was good to see him in service uh, today. Well, well, welcome to 2017. 2017. Uh, you know, I really thought back when I was in high school, by this time I would be flying my car to school, to church. I didn't know I'd have to keep driving a car. But we're here, and we're here together and worshiping together. There was just a nice buzz in this room this morning as we all joined together for worship. It's good to have you back and uh, getting things rolling again. Uh, I don't know how many of you stayed up till midnight last night. Uh, it was years ago. Uh, we were at my parents' house on New Year's Eve, and my family was all together, sister and her children. And back then, uh, this niece of mine who's now grown and has four children with a fifth one on the way, she was just a little bitty girl at that time. And we were discussing that we were going to stay up and see the new year come in. So she decided that sounded like a great idea. And so she was going to stay up. And about 10 o'clock, she asked the question, what happens? What happens when the new year comes in? And we said, well, it's it just changes into the new year. Uh, and so we're going to watch the new year come in. I said, okay. So by 10.30, she says, so nothing really happens. Uh, and we said, well, no, nothing really happens. It just goes into the new year. She said, well, then I'm going to bed. <laughs> well, ever since then, that's kind of been my philosophy when it comes to New Year's, is I figure it's already New Year's somewhere. And I'm just going to go on to bed and just uh, let it happen because nothing really happens. This then is what happens and nothing. Well, how was that? How about your prayer life? How about your prayer life? Is that kind of like that? Everybody talks about praying, that we need to pray, and then and you think, well, what happens? What happens when you pray? Does re anything really happen? You know, God already knows everything that we need. He already has everything. Why do we pray? Well, this year we're going to enter into an emphasis on prayer and fasting in our church. It's not going to be a huge emphasis to start off and then kind of die as the year goes. It's, it's going to have its beginning. And it'll be an emphasis that will continue in, in many aspects of our church life through this next year. Uh, particularly as we're praying for the coming of our next pastor. But an emphasis on prayer, we want it to be something that happens. Something that you're not just thinking, okay, if nothing really happens, then why do I have to do it? Why am I doing this? So we want you to be involved in prayer uh, through this year. So we're going to give you some tools and some things along the way and some encouragement along the way that might help you in knowing that something happens and it's worth doing. Well, to begin with, I'm going to ask you to take your little piece of paper, your notes. We're going to take a test. We're going to do a little test, uh, six questions. This was a questionnaire that was in Christianity Today in October 2015, and then I was listening to a podcast on um, uh, reasons to believe, and they were talking about this, this questionnaire. And I thought it would be a good beginning for this new year to look at these six questions and uh, a true-false, so you at least got a 50-50 chance. You're not having to come up with an answer. So we're going to ask, I'm going to put the questions down and you put your response. Then we'll come back and go back through the questions and uh, see how you've done on this test. We'll turn them in and have your name on that and we'll, 
no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. You're just going to take this test. Don't look on each other's page and see how you answered. So the first question that comes up, write these down, is God the Father and Jesus Christ are equally divine. True or false? God the Father, Jesus Christ are equally divine. Now you can put the Holy Spirit in there as well. If we'll see that later in this. True, false. Okay, the second question. And they're going to come back up on the screen if you didn't get every word. You'll see them again in just a moment. Jesus is a hybrid. He's partially divine and partially human. Jesus was here on earth. He was partially divine, partially human. True or false? Again, you'll see these questions again. So if you don't get every word, we'll get back to them. Third, God the Son is uncreated. God the Son is uncreated. There was a time when he was not, and then he began. Okay? Fourth, the Holy Spirit is a force. A little bit of that Star Wars or the Star Wars lingo here. The Holy Spirit is a force. And then the fifth, the Holy Spirit is less divine than the Father and the Son. Holy Spirit is less divine than the Father and the Son. True or false? And then number six, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three different names for one divine being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three different names for one divine being. True or false? These questions are questions that were basically dealt with in the early years of our church history. After Christ had passed on to his apostles the truths after his resurrection, and they came to understand who he was, and he gave to them and taught to them the truths of the scriptures. And they began to pass that on to others. There came a period of time when those early church fathers began to pass away. And there began to rise up within the church some doctrine or some false doctrine, a false teaching that was uh, presented within different factions around the known world at that time. And so there were councils that were called together to deal with these. And there, it's important to understand that our Christian faith, the basic doctrine of our Christian faith was solidly, completely, and totally understood and formed in the time of Christ when his, at his resurrection and passed on through the disciples. So the councils that were assembled in the first, second, third, and fourth centuries were not for the purpose of defining or establishing the doctrine of our church. 
Those who would say that after, you know, in the fourth century, a council got together and they voted on whether or not Jesus was divine. That's false. All they did was gather, they came together because a false doctrine had begun to be preached. So they gathered as a council and said, this is false doctrine. It is anathema. It is separated away from the doctrine of the church. And it was established, this is our doctrine, that is not. And so it was put aside. So never read a book uh, today that says, you know, they, they got together and decided what books are going to be in the Bible. They voted some out. You know, Esther barely made it. My goodness, glad it did. That's not what happened. These things were established. They knew them. But when there began to be those things that diverged, they began to say, we've got to come back. Those of us who have been to dreamland in Tuscaloosa, that one little shack that only serves ribs and bread, that's the established doctrine of dreamland. <laughs> but the further it gets away, you come to Birmingham, they start serving salad. <laughs> salad. You don't need salad. Then you go to Atlanta, they got french fries and hamburgers. It's further away from the truth and it gets diluted away from what is real. <laughs> That's what happened in the early church years is the further they got away from the established doctrine, things got further. So these questions are questions that were dealt with in the early church years. So it kind of helps us see some things. So let's go back and look at those and kind of get an answer to some of these if we can. So the first one that was, God the Father and Jesus Christ are equally divine. True or false? It's true. The Father and the Son are of the same essence. Jesus is not inferior to the Father. Same essence. Number two, Jesus is hybrid, partially divine, partially human. It's false. Jesus is truly God, truly man or some say fully God, fully man. The difference between those two words, truly or fully, is just semantics, it's just words, but it, it carries a thought. When we say God is fully man, fully God, we might understand that within the context of our church, but the world outside, they hear that when you say something is full, it's full. Then you say something is full, again, it, it's impossible. You can't have something full and then be full again because they're thinking quantity, the quantity. Truly speaks where it really gets to the word. It means essence. The essence of his being is that he was truly God, truly man, truly in both points. My wife is a woman, and I'm delighted with that. She's a beautiful woman. At one point in her life, she became a mother. It did not, she did not give up being a woman to become a mother. And that's where you have with Christ. He is fully God. But when he became man, did not mean he gave up his divinity, did not mean he took upon himself, but he, what it does mean is he took upon himself a different role. A new role, still being fully God, he was fully man. If he were not fully man, his death on the cross would not be complete for who we are. 
He had to fully take on our life except for one point, our sin. He was not in sin. But he was fully God, fully man. And the question, I say this many times, people say, well, it's not fair because he was, he was not like us. You know, he was not as human as we are because we're, we're human and we're sinners. That's not the point. The point is, we're not as human as he was. We're fallen human. He was perfectly human. So don't look at Jesus and say, it's not fair. He, was not a, he did not have sin in his life, so he, he, he withstood everything that we can't withstand. We're not like him. He was fully human, totally human. So in essence, he is truly God, truly man. Third question, God the Son is uncreated. That's true. The, Spirit, the Son of, is co-eternal with the Father. John 1 says, in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, and the Word became flesh. It means he took on the role of flesh. And he revealed the glory of the Father. So he came into this world co-eternal with the Father. He came into this world to live among us and be with us. And so there we have that understanding that as Christ, he is our Lord. Then we move on to the fourth question. The Holy Spirit is a force. That's false. Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not an impersonal being. He's co-eternal with the Father and the Son and the third person of the Trinity. Now, this sermon is not going to be a Trinitarian sermon. I'm not going to preach on the Trinity because it would take us months to cover much of what it means to be the Trinity. I just want you to understand the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. Jesus Christ said, it's expedient that I go away that I so that I can send another, the Holy Spirit, another of the same kind who will come and be among you. So the fifth, the Holy Spirit is less divine than the Father and the Son. Well, I hope you follow the course of this. That's false. Holy Spirit is not inferior, but is of the same essence, same essence. Then the last one that we had, the Father and Son and Holy Spirit are three different names for one divine person. And John is over here jumping out of the pew yelling, no, 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 that is modalism. Modalism is this big word that means the false doctrine was that God appeared in the Old Testament as Father, New Testament as Son, and now He appears as the Holy Spirit. Three different modes. God appearing to us in three different modes. That is wrong. That's false. God has always eternally been Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Always. The Holy Spirit was appearing in the Old Testament at periods of times upon certain periods. But then at the day of Pentecost, he came upon the church. And he is with us in the church today, the Holy Spirit. So how does that relate to prayer? When we're going into talking about prayer. Well, just a very simple way of saying it. We pray to the Father in the authority of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father in the authority of the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. We must know all three persons, three persons in one. Three persons in one nature of God. We worship one God 
who is known as three persons, not, and when you think of three persons, think of equality, equality of who they are, unity as far as their goal and their purpose and their drive. They're always unified in what we're doing, but diversity in role, diversity of role that they play in what goes on. So it's not three different modes, it's one nature with three persons. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. So how did you do on your test? Um, if you got them all correct, that's great, good for you. If you missed one or two, don't think you're a heretic and just give up and walk out, it's okay. This is a growing process. It's easy for us sometimes to let some of these things that have been, that were dealt with at the very beginning of our church history to still creep back into our thinking. And there are religious groups in our community who come knock on your door who do not believe that God is three, three persons in one. And they want to talk to you about that, about the Unitarian of God. And we understand, we, we understand their desire but we look at Scripture according to what it says. That was dealt with, that, that heresy was dealt with years ago. And we understand the nature. So how does this relate to prayer? As I was thinking of through this message and I was reminded of that survey, I just thought about how important it is for us to have who we're talking to. When we come to prayer, there's a reason that we have this understanding of the, the very existence of our faith so that we can have a prayer life that has a distinction, a prayer life that has a resolve to it, and a continuation that means something. So that's why I want to look at Matthew chapter 6. This is called the Lord's Prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer because it's a prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples, but it's not a prayer that Jesus prayed. He did not personally pray this prayer. It asks for forgiveness of trespasses or debts or sin. Jesus never needed to ask for forgiveness. So it's not his personal prayer, but it's one he gave to his disciples to teach them a model for prayer. So it's called the model prayer, the disciples' prayer, but it's been known through history as the Lord's Prayer. And it's prayed quite often in churches. It's prayed as an individuals. It's a good model for prayer. It was never presented as the prayer and the only prayer to pray. And that this is the prayer, and you've got to quote it exactly. And you know, is it debts or trespasses? I can't ever remember. You know, and you've got to get it right. It's not given to us as, and in fact, you look in the Gospels, it's never referenced as the prayer. It's a model for us to pray. But it's good to know this prayer. Several years ago, I was uh, participating in a funeral, and uh, as we were walking to the graveside, I was walking along with the the other minister who was participating in this service, and he said, I tell you what, when we get to the graveside, I'll read some scripture, and you have prayer. I said, that's a good, good plan. So we get there, as he's reading the scripture, I'm kind of thinking through, you know, how am I going to pray? What, what, what would be meaningful to this family? And then uh, I hear that he's, I can tell he's finishing up his scripture, and he says, and now Brother Bill's going to lead us in the Lord's Prayer. It was gone. I was going... Now I'll lay me down. No, that's not it. <laughs> God is great. No, no, that's not. I could not think of it. And I looked like an infidel standing there at this graveside, not knowing how to begin with, 
our Father. And so he had to throw it out there, and then I joined in and, uh, and prayed the prayer. Fortunately, it was a family that I was very close to. Uh, weeks later, we laughed about it. Uh, I was embarrassed, but we, we laughed about it. And still, when we get together, we still talk about that, uh, that instant where uh, the preacher forgot the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but it's a, it is a prayer that's not prescribed as the way to pray. It is a model for us in prayer. But it does give to us an introduction to this. And as I looked at this passage, uh, and I saw the way I wanted to kind of develop this message, I noticed in verse 9, and we're going to read the whole thing, but there's something in verse 9 that jumped out to me. It says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also uh, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this is Matthew's version of this. Mark and Luke have versions that go a little more. And again, it's just a model for us. But this prayer is a very precious and a very perfect prayer. But notice as you look at this prayer that it's divided up very much like the Ten Commandments where it begins with the focus on God and finishes with the last part of the Ten Commandments where it's a focus upon ourselves, our needs, and our uh, being in relationship to God through that and with others. So that's a part how it's divided up. But the first three words in, the, in verse 9 in the NIV version that I've read for you, this then is. Those three words I want to use as, <clears throat> as, as we finish up this message, those three words give to us a kind of a beginning as we enter into this new year in prayer. This shows a distinction. This is a, is a distinction when we say the word this. This as opposed to that. So when Jesus said this, he is referring back to the references that he had earlier. It says, when you pray, do not be like. And he says, this, it's distinct from the way the others do. So we have a distinction a distinction for a meaningful prayer life. And that distinction, you see, as you come into the, as you continue that verse, says, our Father in heaven. The distinction is our. First of all, it's our. When we pray, there's a community. It's not just an individual going into himself, focused upon himself. There's a community. Hour. This morning, part of the buzz that was in this room is because someone was sitting in your seat. <laughs> We've got three services combined in one, and a little bit of the buzz is, well, where are we going to sit? Somebody's in my seat. So as, we, as you leave, go to that person and say, I'm so glad to meet the person who sits in our seat. Our seat. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's ours. And we all share there's a community of faith. It's our. And so we understand that community. So when we pray, there is a distinction in our prayer in that we include prayer for others. We think of others. We bring our presence before God. Our. And Jesus also said, our Father. 
When he speaks, speaks of Father, he speaks of a relationship. Eastern religions, their concept of reality is some ground of being, some impersonal force, a ground of being. There's no one personal to talk to. So in some forms of meditation that will be offered to you, saying this is a good way for you to pray, it's that meditation of focused upon inward, trying to go inward, your journey inward. And that's not where it goes, it's toward the Father, a personal, personal being. And we pray to the Father. Jesus used that word Father. In the Old Testament, the word Father was used maybe 14 or 15 times in all of the Old Testament. In each of those situations, it was not talking about a personal father. It was talking about the father of the nation Israel. But we move into the New Testament. Jesus made a distinction. Our father. And the word that's used there is a word that can be translated into the word Abba, or the one that that's the, we've constantly heard. Although it's sometimes we say it says daddy, that's not really what it means. It means dear father. There is a relationship in that, that dearness of him. He is intimate with us. He is close, our Father. So he gives to us that call. Paul followed up in the book of Galatians, chapter 4. It said, what am I saying? As long as an heir is a child, I want you to listen to this distinction that we have. As long as an heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by the Father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery, slavery under the basic principles of the world. That is our situation in sin. That's our situation before Christ, is we are going to be an heir of the kingdom. But before we come in Christ, we are like a slave. We are separated. We are like a child. And we have no rights, none of that. It is a part of the kingdom. We're separated. We're like a child. But in verse 4, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but you're a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. People say, when we speak of God the Father, we say, well, God, there's the fatherhood of God and the children of God. All the world, everybody is a child of God. No, God is a creator. Everyone is a creation of God. We're only made sons of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're adopted into his kingdom, adopted into his family. We are not naturally born as a child of God. We're naturally born as His creation. And it's only by the adoption that we have through Jesus Christ that we become sons of God and we can cry out, Abba, Father. This passage of Scripture is a key passage of Scripture. If ever you're looking at a translation that you want to buy of Scripture, I encourage you to look at Galatians chapter 4 and look at this passage. Because there are some translations that change the meaning of this passage by trying to be use inclusive language. They do not want to use the word son because it seems to separate females. But that's not what the word son means. It means position. 
position in the inheritance. We were once a child separated from God, but we become adopted in and become an heir to the kingdom because of the adoption we have through Jesus Christ, and we become a son adopted. Male or female, no matter what color, what race, whatever, we become the same. We become the adopted son of God, a child of God, or or son of God. And so those who change this word and say we're adopted and we become the children of God, they do away with what the meaning of this passage, because they put it back in and say we're still just a child, a child of God. No, we're adopted into his kingdom to be his inheritor. He's our father. We have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So when we look at the distinction for a meaningful prayer life, we begin with our, that we're all together in prayer. We're a body together. We're not separated out on our own, just having some mind-filled spiritual experience on our own. It is a part of a body, our. It's our father. We're in a relationship with him. And he says, who art in heaven? Heaven, don't think of location. Don't think of location. Think of authority. Don't think about where he is. Think about what he can do. That's what it means when it says in heaven. It means he's beyond this world. Because if we get him too close and say, well, he's just our daddy. He's just my little daddy here to help me out. And he becomes too close, we forget the distinction of him as being the authority. He has authority in our life. Oh, my daddy won't make me do that. Yes, he will. Your father has authority in your life to tell you, you cannot do this. You cannot live this life. You cannot be in this relationship. He has that authority. So we come to God with that distinction. Jesus said, do not pray like the others. This is how you pray. You begin with the authority of our father. Second thing he comes to in this passage is not only that distinction but it's a resolve, a resolve of a meaningful prayer life. We come to the first day of the new year. There's resolutions that we all make, New Year's resolutions. There are three verses, or three passages, or three uh, phrases in this. When we look at this, uh, the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, sometimes we throw these three things at the very beginning kind of as just an addition to the first phrase. Our Father, our Lord, hallowed be thy name. When you really look at the original language of this passage, these words are three identical parallel sentences. Hallowed the name of you. Come the kingdom of you. Do the will of you. Three, to, three parallel passages. So the resolve we have in this, this passage today for us. And if you're making New Year's resolutions, here's a great set of three resolutions to begin with. The resolve of our life is the kingdom of you, God your kingdom, may it come. It's already here. Jesus initiated the coming of the kingdom through his resurrection, but it's yet to be. The word became flesh. He was the first word. He will have the last word. His kingdom will come. We cannot bring it in by our life. We cannot do anything to create his kingdom. We're only in subjection to his kingdom. And we say, your kingdom come, is a prayer of our submission to his authority and saying, through my life, may everything I do be a part of your kingdom. I'll be a part of revealing and showing the glory of your kingdom. So we begin with that. The second resolution we have, your uh, 
your, your will, or hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Well, hallowed be your name. I messed that up, didn't I? Hallowed be your name is the first one. Your name be hallowed means the authority of your name. And then the kingdom come is the authority that he has. And then the last one, your will be done. His will will be done. We can't thwart it. We can't stop it. It's going to happen. But what we do is we submit ourselves, our will to his will. So the three resolutions that you need to have is, first of all, that everything in your life be, would be a part of hallowing, of showing the holiness of the name of Christ, of the name of God. Showing the holiness of the name of God. Your kingdom come. Everything in our life be a part of his kingdom as we live out through our life. How we spend our resources as what we do with our life, it'd be a part of his kingdom. Your will be done. I'm submissive to your will. So we have a distinction a distinction for a, a meaningful prayer life. We have a resolve for a meaningful prayer life. The last word is is. That's the continuation of a pre meaningful prayer life. Is. It's the con continuation. The word is is a present tense word. Is. This then is how you pray. We pray and it's a continuation. Paul said, be instant in prayer. What we need to be is always in a situation that wherever we are, we can immediately be in the presence of our Father in prayer. And there are times that you need to pull aside and be in a place distinctly of your own that you can pray and get focused in, in your prayer. But make sure it's not just an inward focus. It's always a Father focus, a kingdom-focused prayer. But we have our focus in prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That we have that desire to pray. So that's a part of that continuation. So we've looked at some questions. We've looked at just a very brief understanding. We ask you for this year to join us on a journey. Join us on a journey. A journey that we don't know when this journey will end for our life. For some of us in this room, this journey will end this year. For many of us, it will continue on. But we want you to join us on a journey that when we come to the end, we will find our Father. Only when we, if we move with the times, we die with the times. It's only when we are connected with eternity that we find real significance. So this year, have that distinction in your prayer life, knowing who you're talking to. Have that resolve that your prayers be a part of his hallowing of his name, his kingdom coming, his will be done, and that it be a continuation in your life. So that's my desire for you as we enter into this new year. As we enter into a year in which we look at some aspects of prayer, prayer and fasting, that you have this as the beginning of your year. If you're a guest of ours today and you've just come because this is a great day to come and begin a new year, you've made that resolve, I want to be in a church today, I want to worship the Lord today, we're grateful that you're here. But if you realize that you do not have that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, there's a time we're going to have of an invitation. And that's an opportunity for you to come forward. It may feel strange, but it's open to you to come and to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior 
so that you may live this year in a relationship with your Father and be in that relationship. If you're looking for a church home, a place where you can grow in your faith, this is a place that you can find that location to come together as our, a body, worship the Father, and know that He is the one who is going to work in your life this year. And you can be of service in this church. So we're going to have just a moment. Let's stand together. Ministers will be here. John's going to come lead us. Musicians, let's all stand. Let me lead you in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you again that we can be in this place as a body. We can worship you personally as our Father. We can understand you eternally as the one who has authority in our life, the one who is doing and is working. And you invite us through prayer to be involved in what you are doing. Prayer is not an opportunity for us to change you. It's an opportunity for you to change us. And we enter into this new year with that distinction in our mind, resolved in our heart, and the doing in our lives as we move through the year. So bless this year. Thank you for your, your giving to us an opportunity to be before your presence. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.